Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Oh, I am very excited. I have revised every paragraph I wanted to revise on Abundantly Well Seven Medicines. I have removed all extra spaces. I have inserted spaces where there weren't spaces. I have corrected all typos. And the final do-do-do is on its way to the editor in Tucson, Betsy. Oh, Wow. Amazing. (laughs) Now, maybe now I can actually start to do the index. I overcame a a large personal challenge 
which is that Betsy really, really likes it when the front matter, you know, the table of contents and the, the copyright page and all of that is little Roman numbers and not numbered as part of the book. And I was really being lazy and just letting it be, you know, numbered starting from the beginning and numbering right through the book because I really couldn't remember how to get the program to do a different pagination and then start all over with one. Mm-hmm. But I I, um, I found that, first of all, I told her I couldn't do it, and that was very helpful. And then I told her I wouldn't do it, and that was even more helpful, and then I did it. <laughs> and, that, and that took me about a month altogether. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Is that something that you publishing your own book that the publisher would typically do for you? The the person who was doing the typesetting would do that, of course. That would be a publishing oh, okay. decision. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then everything, you know, the cover would be a publishing decision. Who illustrated, where it was illustrated, all of those would be publishing decisions. The only thing I would have any control over would be words. And mm-hmm. that is why yeah. so I, I like to have the words and the images work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a advantage to both ways, I can see, but it's it's taking you a lot more time than um like for your personal time anyway. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't really take more time. Most authors have to have their manuscript in anywhere from a year to a year and a half before the book is published. Mhm. I mean, all this stuff I'm doing takes the time it takes, Who, no matter who does it. I'm also doing the index. Most to me, the index uh-huh. is the key to the castle, and I want people to really have good access. So I've always done the index. Yeah. Rather than hire that out. Mm-hmm. Your books are indexed well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. Well, we appreciate all the work you're putting into it. I can't you wait to see the are final welcome. I, yeah, I appreciate it, too. I just got the most, I don't even know what adjective to use. When she told me this, I started to cry. She said to me, she said, Susan, you know, I'm in my 80s now, and I'm reading a galley copy of the book. She said, and if I'd had this book when I was 22, my life would have been totally different. Mm-hmm. She yeah. said, I have been exposed yeah. to so much deep medicine, and I had so little resources to protect myself. And she said, now, you know, I want you to know that last week I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, we want you to have an MRI in four months. And I looked at the doctor, and I said, I don't actually need an MRI in four months. You're doing that to protect yourself. We're going to schedule that for a year, and the doctor backed down. Oh, wow. Good for her. <laughs> Good for her, and that's exactly what I want Abundantly Well to do. If you need something, go for it. But there's an awful lot of deep medicine being pushed out there that we don't need. Time for us to stand up and say and no. Hopefully this will get into enough people's hands that, you know, it'll become part of – I feel like that's happened with your other books, and, I mean, it just gets into the collective consciousness, you know, of people and, um, you know – it will influence other people to make empowered decisions and even the people that haven't read the book. So 
It just needs to get into enough people's hands. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> mm, what have you been up to? Um, today I went to the river with my son, and um, we I, last year I had found a spot down there that where there were a whole swath of um, skullcap, and so I just saw my skullcap was starting to flower in my yard, and so I wanted to go check that spot, and sure enough, there were there was a bunch of skullcap down there flowering, and I was very happy to see that in there. And then while I was harvesting some of it, because I brought my jars and alcohol down there, <laughs> of course, to tincture it right on site, and um, I saw some, I've been looking for Lycopis for a long time, and there was some just sparsely growing in the in with the school cap that I hadn't noticed last year because last year when I found the swap it was already um, it was already had went past flowering so um, it was all in seed at that point but yeah I was very excited to make the medicine I find Lycopis I find Lycopis and Scutellaria growing together a lot and I would say that if I look for skullcap in ten places, I will find lycopus in nine of them, and lycopus and skullcap in one. Yeah. So does the lycopus typically grow like um, not as abundantly as the skullcap? What I was saying, maybe I said it backwards. If I look in ten places for skullcap, I will find lycopus in all of them, but skullcap in only one of them. Oh. <laughs> okay. So I find Lycopus the more prevalent plant, so there's more of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, not the case here. There was a lot more school caps, so I'm not sure. I'm going to keep looking, though, down in I, – I didn't have enough time to explore – um, down on that in that spot to go further, but there was definitely a lot more school cap. But I'm happy to. I'm happy with the school cap. I'll take it. <laughs> and where they're growing together, that is usually true. There is usually more school cap where they grow together. But I find lycopus in a lot of places where school cap could grow that it isn't growing. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna keep looking because I, maybe it's just not as uh, pro, prolific out here. So I'm, I have long wondered if Lycopus could be used in the same way that Skullcap is. I have heard I have heard that, and that's why I've looked for it before, because I've heard other people say that it grows, like, you know, like in a lot of places. But, um, yeah, but not, not here in the Northwest. I haven't heard a lot of people say that. But I don't know if a lot of people are aware of, like, you know, Skullcap and – and lycopus, you know, so it's just a plant lycopus that I really like to use. Sometimes called wolf mint. It's like skullcap. It's in the mint family. So they're both mints that like to grow in dappled shade and pretty wet places, too. So they're really thought mm-hmm. to be plants that help us, like, snooze off, calm down, chill out, right? Mm-hmm. 
in fact, like just working with it today, like just being in it, I was like, wow, I just got, I'm like so calm still, like just even from touching it and making medicine with it. I can just feel like this overriding calmness for me. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> do that before blog talk radio. And like mm. many of the plants in the mint family, their qualities are um, volatile. Their qualities dissipate very rapidly, which is why you went with your jars and your vodka, which is a trick I do. And, of course, one of mm-hmm. my favorite favorite tricks living in the Catskills is to wait until there's a thunderstorm where it's thundering and lightning but hasn't yet started raining and run out to the skullcap swamp and get it when that air is so charged with the ozone from the lightning. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Next time. <laughs> Maybe that'll happen. Maybe that'll happen in the next couple of weeks. We'll see. There's definitely and, more and down there. Said to me, so. Wait, wait, you're putting lightning in your sleep remedy? I'm like, yeah, zap, you're asleep. <laughs> yeah, it's actually like my school cap that I had made some and I, you know, I put it between you know, five and ten drops on the, the bottle, and somebody thought that I had said, like, I think she said, I don't know, she ended up taking, like, a few, like, a couple dropperfuls of it, and she said, you know, like, she was having, she was, like, hallucinating when she was going to sleep, and <laughs> and she messaged me, and she goes, has that ever happened with school cap? And I was like, how much did you take? And then she told me, and I was like, oh, you're only supposed to take, like, between five and ten drops, but there is that effect as well, like, when you take a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of mints that are quite actively um, psychedelic, including one that's related yeah. to motherwort, which is a really gorgeous plant. It's about four times bigger than motherwort, and the flowers are orange. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Leonurus, a... Leodon- Leonurus leodontis. It's supposed to be. Yeah, what, what's the common name of that one that people. Um... Daga. Why can't I think of the name of Daga. Yeah, Daga, right. Yeah, yeah. I need to grow that. <laughs> it is. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw another herbalist posting about that just recently and had, like, pictures of the plant, and I was like, oh, I need that. So thanks for the reminder. I'm going to get it. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> hey, this evening at 9 o'clock my time here on the East Coast, Judith Piazza is going to be with us, and Judith has a bachelor's in music therapy, but beyond that, she has 40 years of experience exploring sound, music, rhythm, and voice. She does devotional and community song, frame drum, healing sound workshops, prayer performances, rites of passages, and all kinds of other stuff. So be sure you stay here or come back for Judith Piazza at 9 o'clock tonight. All right, and I'm going to mention my Etsy store to folks to take yeah. a look if they have not or are interested to go to etsy.com backslash shop backslash nourish wholeness, and I've been posting lots of new stuff up there and um, restocking some older stuff, and um, yeah, if you're interested, please take a look. We have lots of people on the line with questions. I'll mention that you need to press 1 to ask a question. And let me say Susan. that I was talking to Gretchen Gould last night, 
and she's no longer restocking her amazing grease shop. So if there are any listeners out there who love Gretchen Gould's Amazing Grease, and you have a favorite Amazing Grease that you want, this is the year to order it. Because it might not be available next year. She's going to keep selling until she's sold out. But you've got something special that you want. Make sure you get it from Amazing Grease while there's still Amazing Grease at Amazing Grease. I was looking for her particular website, and I wasn't – do you know what the well, No, the website's website? gone. The website is gone. Oh, yes. She's so no longer doing it directly. You have to order it directly. Uh, you have to know what you want. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's why I couldn't find it. And, mm-hmm. All right, that makes sense. So are you ready for the with most season? of us, she has had two, you know, interwoven careers. She's mostly a musician. And a singer, she's mm-hmm. the person who plays keyboard on It's Time CD. And she's also ah. choir director at her local church, and she writes music. She's a very Hildegard of Bingen woman with the herbs and the music and the great stuff. As a matter of fact, I was talking to her last night, and she said, well, you know, I'm getting up there in my 80s, so I figured I better learn a new instrument. So she's taken up blues guitar this past year, and I think she's doing her okay. first public performance this evening. At a, oh, at a wow. Blues- in space. Yeah, isn't that incredible? Go Gretchen. That is amazing. Yep. Yes. That's yes, why I she's pulling it. back on the herbs because she says, you know, I don't have a lot of years left and I just really want to devote it to music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yep. Yep. Cool. All, All right. right. Well, we'll go to the first one. If you want to talk, and let's get started. Okay. The first caller is coming from the 845 area code. Oh, hi, Susan. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. I called you last week. Um, I was very, very afraid. I was the person with the bladder issue, that, and, I, and you wisely suggested that um, I should listen and find out what's the fear, not to, I'm sorry, not to, to, to ignore the fear and to go and to at least get the Cologuard test done and the endometriosis test. And I, I took that to heart, and I was—I I don't have doctors. I haven't seen a doctor in many years. I'm 62, and I'm, I'm very healthy until now with this. And so I, I heeded that advice, and I was just trying to find someone that, you know, other people knew. And in the meantime, starting Friday night, I, um, it got the pain got much worse. And so I tried to just rest, but literally. Um, I went through like 48 hours of severe abdominal pain, and Sunday I was on the floor, doubled over. I couldn't even go to the phone. So finally I said, okay, um, you know, I called a few people. I wasn't going to have anybody. I didn't want to tell anybody. And But the people I called, of course, that's sometimes not the right thing, gallbladder, appendix, you know, and I'm thinking, no, it's not that. It's got something to do with my bladder. But I was so afraid. I went into the emergency room um, in Northern Duchess, and um, – I was there for about 13 hours, and they finally did CT scan and um, a, vaginal, um, a vaginal sonogram. And the girl couldn't find my ovaries. I have both of them, and she couldn't find them because I had, I have two, one very huge teratoma cyst that's leaning into my bladder and another smaller one in back. And I'm 62. When I was 30, I had 
I they I didn't think they called it that, but it was the kind of cyst that's usually not cancerous and is like your twin. It's got teeth and blood and bones in it. So anyway, um, basically that's leaning into my bladder and and that is causing me all the distress and. I don't know if this is true, but they said when they looked at all my other organs and my blood work and blah, 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 that everything else was, was healthy, although I don't particularly – I mean, I feel that that's true. And I, I just want to say I'm very upset and freaked out because they told me I need surgery in at least two weeks. They were keeping me there because they were afraid there was torsion on the ovary, and they were actually going to admit me, but when the shift changed at midnight – the new doctor that came on was like, oh, no, no, you, you, we can't see the ovaries. It's probably no problem. They're probably small. Just go and get – you need the operation in two weeks. So that's where I'm at right now. And I wished I could just run to your house and talk to you, but I, I'm just rested because I've been up for three days. So that's where I'm at. And sorry to talk so much. I'm very glad you're talking so much. I'm sorry that you were in so much pain and that you have been – experiencing so much fear. That's a really difficult place to be. It actually got better, Susan, after I left there. Um, but, of course, they did give me, I forgot to say this, Keterolac, which is, I guess, super hard on the kidneys. And I actually bought the prescription just in case because that kind of pain, I was debilitated. But I'm a lot better. I'm standing up straight now. And I, feel, I just want to say one more thing. I feel like it's because... That seems like a doable thing. If it was some other problem, it may not be. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'll let you answer me. Well, you haven't asked a question, so there's nothing to really answer. I'm just, sorry. That's I, I wanted your. I have to apologize. All. Well, got your. I've got your book down there, and of course, okay. I've studied everything about bladder. But then when I go to ovarian cysts, and this is what I. My, my one at 30, I had no pain, and I didn't want to take it out. I was kind of forced to take it out, but I went to 10 different surgeons, and finally I trusted one and let him do it. And I, I feel like if I had this book, I might have been able to get rid of it by myself. But this one's so large that it's – I mean, it's hard. when I go to poop, it spasms me out now. I mean, now it's really worse, although I feel like I'm in kind of a place where it relieved a little. So I did start the castor oil, but, I mean – if your cyst was that big, would you let them take it out? You know, we're always told not to compare ourselves to other people. And I think where, okay. this, where this is most true is when it comes to decisions. Really, no one can decide for another person. And what my decision would be uh, would be based on a lot of different things. So it wouldn't necessarily be the best decision for you. Whatever it is that I would choose to do wouldn't necessarily be your best decision. Right. In the new book, Abundantly Well, there is a whole section on um, what to do if you're going to have surgery. So it sounds to me like you've decided that Northern Duchess is the best hospital to have this surgery. I haven't really. I just went there. No, you haven't. You haven't. Oh. If you're going to have this surgery, don't you deserve to at least put as much attention into it as you would put into buying a car? Oh, my God. I've I've read everything of every surgeon that I could possibly deal with. I I just thought – I even called Albany a friend up there. I'm trying to find someone. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, 
well, there's other aspects of this. It's going to financially devastate me probably, but I I don't know what to do. I feel like if I had to be where I was Saturday again, I can't I can't take care of my I mean, I know this sounds crazy. I can't take care of myself. I can't take care of my animals. I can't work. You know, so that was Are you going to base like, your health decision on a what if? What if it happens again? You mean? Uh-huh. That's what you're going to base your your care decision on? What if? Um, I no. The, that's why I'm. That's why I'm still. As a as a what if? How many how many ways are you going to encounter this what if? I will say that for myself personally, I never base any decision on what if. Okay. Because I'm not a mind reader, I'm not a fortune teller, and I don't know what is. Now, there's a lot of insurance sold based on what if. Right. And I understand. I understand that the great, great many people are really basing healthcare decisions, life decisions, work decisions on what if. But I don't. Susan, and, I want to oh, it's tell okay you, I don't either. But you are also asking me, and what I'm saying is, why base a decision on what if? And if it is a what if, why not base a decision on what if I can get rid of it myself? Why are they saying two weeks? What's going to happen in two weeks? I guess, I don't you know. any particular thing is happening in two weeks. We don't even know if this cyst is growing. It got worse in the past. I mean, you know, honestly, Susan, got worse I've been calling you. It got better. Well, you I feel like it just now. got better because I'm not in pain. But I don't know if that's residual effect. I'm very pure. I don't take even ass. I don't take anything. That, only, I don't take any drugs. And and I feel like the Keterolac could still be in my system. But I feel better. And there's a part of me that feels stronger. And I'm thinking, even if I try to arrange for this surgery, I'm going to do, I'm going to throw every single thing at it that's that's natural and 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 try and and try and even my frame of mind I'm almost I was hysterical for the last 2 days but today I have a, a weird piece about me it's like okay I I have to change the story and I I feel like I learned that from you the story has to change to this is a positive outcome and it may not be cutting my belly open to do that but at the same time it may time, not it may but again 2 weeks seems a little arbitrary to me well, he said that because he, the second doctor came in and he was not convinced I could torque uh, a, a torsion, excuse me, uh, an ovary because they couldn't see them. The doctor right. before that was very concerned and didn't want me to leave and wanted to admit me so that a, a gyno could take another look and do more tests. But honestly, Susan, staying there to do more tests, I feel I feel poisoned just from the the whatever they put in my arm, which I tried to find out today exactly what it was to get the contrast in the CT, I'm tasting food differently now. I mean, I know that changed something because I feel my body, know my body, you know. So I don't know. I, I just, I, I guess I just hated to go to those portals, but I needed help like right then, and I didn't want an appendix to burst or, you know, it could be two problems or three problems that you have going on at once. And maybe I sound like an alarmist. I'm sorry. 
No, you sound like someone who apologizes too much. You keep saying you're sorry. There's nothing to be sorry for. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, thank you. Teaching again. This very normal. Most people base their lives on what if, and they base their health care on fear. This is the normal state of affairs. There is nothing to apologize for. You are. Um, looking to see if there's some other story, if there's some other path. And I'm saying that that story begins with our saying, why two weeks? Because whatever we're going to do, we want to set a time limit. Now, Mm. I understand that you do not want to experience such severe pain as you experienced before. None of us do. I believe that you have told me, and I could have gotten it wrong, that you have uh-huh. purchased a drug that relieves pain. Is that true? No, I, they gave me one in my IV to relieve the pain. I thought you so said that I, I filled the prescription. And, I, and, I, and, and they gave me a prescription, and I, out of fear yesterday, absolutely, I just got it because I was going to be here. I'm alone. I believe you have purchased a pain-killing drug. Am I wrong? No, absolutely, but I just did it as hey, well, a back- You don't have to defend yourself. Okay. But yes, I did, but I'm I didn't. I'm not putting you down. I don't think I know. drugs is impure. You do. Okay? But what I'm saying is that you've already taken care of what is. I've You've got already you. taken care of what if you get in pain again. You have a pain-killing drug, yes? Yes. Okay. So we've taken care of what if. As far as I'm concerned, maybe you're not as far as you're concerned, but as far as I'm concerned, we've taken care of what if you get into that bad pain again. You have a drug that takes care of that pain. And one of the most important aspects about caring for ourselves is setting time limits. So the time limit that you set with the experience of your pain was, I am going to be in pain, and I am not going to do anything about my pain until it is totally intolerable, and then I will fling myself into deep medicine and let them do whatever they want to me. Mm. Um, I wanted to know what was wrong. And I, found I understand that you wanted to do that, but I also don't hear you say that you did anything to relieve your pain. If you just want oh, to no, know, I, you didn't I, have no, to be in pain for three days. You could have gone as soon as you, uh, you didn't even have to be in pain at all. You just wanted to know you could go at any point. You don't have to be in pain. No, I, I, um, I tried to relieve it, believe me. I, I okay, did and what did really... you do to try to relieve the pain? Well, now you're going to think I'm really dumb, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I tried to heal myself with meditation, a lot of other things, castor oil, and I put, this is the crazy part, and this is where I really, I thought I needed an ambulance. I put my dogs in the car and I went to my camp in the Adirondacks, where I know I've healed myself before many, many times. And I drove two and a half hours, and when I got there, I could barely move. And it actually, to be honest, I just told my mother this. That cabin healed me because it made me realize, oh, my God, I've got to really do something about this. I've got to find out what the hell it is because it's just so painful. And, and 
I drove, I limped back. It took me like hours and hours to get back. And I laid in my house and I don't know. I, I just felt like that was the only While way you were time. laying in your house, you took California Poppy. And while you were laying in your house, you took Skullcap. And while you were oh. laying in your house, you took CBD. Okay, I wrote, let me write that down. Yep. No, I did no, not. you didn't take any of this. No, I didn't know. Susan, I wanted to That's figure okay. out how to I'm talk. just asking you what you did to see if Nothing, we can, like, and and what if. You're not mm. this victim of your pain. And right. what you're asking me is what would I do, and rather than telling you exactly what I'm doing, I'm telling you in general about what I would do. I would question I need to have surgery in two weeks. I'd say, why do I need to have surgery in two weeks? What are you looking for? What are you afraid of? What could, what's the worst possible thing that could happen here? Because two weeks sounds very arbitrary to me, and you're saying, well, I'm going to throw everything at it. Well, why not take six weeks? I have seen many an ovarian cyst respond to chickweed tincture and castor oil packs within six weeks. Even a big one like nine centimeters? Yes, bigger. Wow. I mean, it had to be in me for a long time because they, they're slow growers, I guess, and finally it just got in the way. But you got me on corn silk. I'm not nine telling months. you what you should do. I'm giving oh, you I know you t- if what you really want to do is to have it surgically removed, then do that. No, I really don't. I well, don't that's, want that's what, to be. That's what I think I'm hearing you say is that you don't want to go for surgery. And so I ask myself, is your life threatened? I do not see any way in which your life is threatened if you take six weeks to do some other things. Okay. I just, I mean, I guess the fear of God was put in me with if a piece of it breaks off or if it twists it your ovary. Like the, and you, God, it sounds like the fear of what if. Not, not, right, right. But they gave me a few scenarios that could happen, and they were not, I mean, they seemed life-threatening to me. But and I did guess you if ask you get, them how often those things happened? You know what, Susan? I didn't. After 13 hours of being there, and I don't think they were very interested in telling me that it was, it was not a lot. An emergency I, room. I I'm just, you know. Again, I'm not putting you down or in any right. way challenging you. I'm simply saying that most of us, if told older women can break a hip, an older woman who breaks a hip will be hospitalized. She can get pneumonia and die. Breaking a hip could kill you. Take this drug. And this is a common thing. If that whole thing were to start with, after the age of 65, a woman's risk of breaking a hip in any given year is 2%. Mm. whole discussion would be a lot different, wouldn't it? Yes, and I didn't ask them what the odds were. I was also told I should... If we're talking like one out of 10,000 people? Right. One out of 100,000 people? The risk is never 100%. 
And yes, they are trained to be conservative. They are trained to think of the worst possible things that could happen because if they don't and that worst possible thing happens, you can sue them. I see. This is the most important thing that we have to understand is they are not telling you what they think you should do because they think it's healthy or good for you. They're telling you what they think you should do to protect themselves. Hmm. That's very understandable. People bring lawsuits for millions of dollars against doctors. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be afraid. But uh, what I'm saying is that we don't necessarily have to suck up that fear. We don't have to make that fear ours, nor do we have to make their decisions as to what protects them from a lawsuit the basis of our health care. There's two ways to be stupid. One is to not do anything, and the other is to do what they suggest without questioning it. Yep. I feel like just given my vulnerable state at that point and just the fe- – I feel like I got brainwashed in some ways. At that point, we're not talking about the past. We're talking about now. And I want – I wanted to wait. I mean, there's, first of all, there's no way I could get into surgery in two weeks. I can't even find a doctor that will call me back. So, exactly. I mean, that, right. I mean, you know, let's face facts. And that, yeah. What I suggested so, was you start with the hospital. The hospital right. will have as much effect on you if you're going to have surgery as the surgeon will. As a matter of fact, the hospital, the anesthesiologist, and the surgeon, the surgeon comes last. The hospital and the anesthesiologist are far more important to your well-being than the surgeon. Huh. Hospital and anesthesiologist. Okay, that makes sense. The guy that keeps you alive and the place that's taking care of you. Right. So that's what I say. This This is elective surgery. In other words, you are not having to have surgery because of a traumatic accident. Right or to right. literally save your life or an emergency appendectomy. No, this is called elective surgery. So it certainly behooves you to take it on as a job to get uh, yourself the best care because it does make a big difference. It makes a big difference in infection rates. It makes a big difference in readmission rates. Hmm. You know, one of the things in down there that I spoke very strongly against was the insertion of mesh into a woman's body, either to repair her pelvic floor or to help if she was incontinent. And I said at the time that the Food and Drug Administration had put a black box warning on the mesh inserts. Now they have taken them off the market because there have been so many lawsuits of women permanently maimed because of the mesh insert. Oh, my God. The people who are doing surgery are not interested in your health. 
I know that sounds very harsh and perhaps even very mean, but if we get that through our heads, that if we're going to go into that realm, we have to take care of our health. And one of the things that I'm doing with Abundantly Well and the Seven Medicines is helping you to see which aspects you haven't done. So you did serenity medicine, you did meditation, that's excellent. And you did, you know, mind medicine by going to your cabin, but you didn't do any herbal medicine. Except my nourishing herbal infusions, which I guess... Which is lifestyle, which is lifestyle medicine. Herbal medicine would be skullcap. And, and lifestyle, lifestyle is the things we do daily, like our nourishing herbal infusions. I, that doesn't count as herbal medicine. Herbal medicine are stimulants and sedatives. And we want to use them before we have surgery. In other words, before we decide that surgery is our only option or our best option, we want to see what we can do with other forms of alternative medicine beyond serenity medicine, story medicine, mind medicine, and lifestyle medicine. That we don't necessarily have to fling ourselves into surgery. For instance, have you seen somebody who practices traditional Chinese medicine? No. I think we talked about this briefly, that they might have a totally different take on what's going on in your body. Okay. Well, when I read your ovarian cyst, uh, just this little few paragraphs, I completely got it. I was like, okay, blocking of creativity, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, my God, this is, I should have looked for that first. And, um, but, okay. okay. Understandable. I, I, Susan, it's weird. I feel relieved because it feels like something, and maybe I shouldn't feel relieved, but it feels like something that I can get rid of. I mean, sadly, even if it had to be cut out, if I couldn't get rid of it, I mean, if it continues to lean on my bladder and give me this kind of pain, I can't, I can't keep, the, I call them the twins. I'm giving, it's funny, I'm starting to give them love, and they, because they, he said the one is like a second trimester baby, and, and it, I know this may sound, well, it doesn't sound crazy to you, but I feel like they have let up on me. Like when they started to bother me a little this morning, it was like, come on, you're part of me. And suddenly I, I felt like I was better. I mean, I was able to urinate without them sort of pressing on things. Um, I but, love it. Um, it's wonderful. Way to go. But will you I know I don't want to take up all the time. I know there's a lot of people. Will you well, please tell me? I know about two more minutes. Okay, I have the book. Can you please tell me the things that I should should start doing that may not be in the my book down there? I'm going to write a hundred page book, and you're going to ask me for something that isn't in the book. Come oh, on! I, I'm sorry. Come no, on! No, no, I'm so unfair. Really, really enjoyed talking to you, and I think you'll find lots of good things in down there. Green blessings. Do everything here, and there's not anything new. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you so much. Okay, the next caller is coming from the 808 area code. Oh, hi, Susan, and hi, Rebecca. This is Sean. Hey, Sean. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you tonight. Thanks um, for calling. Yeah, yeah. I want to get right to um, my questions. Okay. Um, so I, 
I'm in the other situation from the previous caller. Like I, you know, anticipated doing deep medicine for a long time. And I finally, you know, did it to on uh, three weeks ago to this today. And about four days uh, prior to the procedure I had done, I also had the colonoscopy. And that was a previous call to your radio show where I was like, should I get a colonoscopy? And I was like, I'm just going to wait, you know. And um, so the doctor felt more comfortable if I had a colonoscopy first before he performed this procedure called IRC. And it was for two um, genital warts around my, um, around my anus area. And I was sitting on them, and it was just a chronic problem. I would use oak bark sitz baths, and that would clear it up. Or I would go to the um, uh, dermatologist, and they would try freezing the warts, and that that just caused more discomfort. So I I really want, you know, I spoke my general practitioner, and he warned me. He was like, well, if you do decide to go get them burned off or somewhere, uh, realize it's a very painful procedure. And he kind of prepared me for it. So I had the procedure done three three weeks ago in Midtown Manhattan at um pretty good facility that uh, works on a lot of different pe- you know a lot of people. So I felt comfortable that they were high volume and they were very experienced. And um, but my um so the after the procedure I felt fine. I visited you um a day or two later. I was up on your roof picking linden, and then about four or five days later all the general anesthesia that I went through <laughs> and then all the, you know, recovery pain um, came to the surface. It was almost like my body was in shock from all the anesthesia. And I thought, oh, all right, this is what I did to myself. <laughs> and so the past three weeks, so I looked at the information sheet that that doctor has on the procedure and they were like a two or three week recovery period. And it, I was just in denial. I was like, no, I'm a fast healer. I don't, this isn't going to bother me. And it was three weeks today and it just stopped hurting like about a day or two later. So they really have it down pat that, Oh, this is going to take three weeks for you to feel fine again. So um, that is my experience, you know, um, going into deep medicine and having something very invasive. I felt like these two warts that I was sitting on and were constantly becoming inflamed. They, they were just deeply in there and, and perhaps I could have, um, you know, sought out other remedies like celandine, and I'm trying to forgive myself for just maybe plunging too quickly into it and not being more patient, but it did, it was giving me so much discomfort, and I had an opportunity to do something, and I felt the doctor put me at ease, and I felt like um, I met the anesthesiologist and him, and they both seemed like really good professionals, so whatever. I'm just sort of, sort of in the process of like, yeah, I did damage my body and I have to forgive myself for making that choice. But I do believe um, it, it was successful. You know, the objective was to get it at the lower, lower surface. So then if I do apply something like celandine, um, I would have a better chance for it clearing up for good and not constantly reoccurring or spreading. Well, that's so what I was going to ask because I know often they won't um, surgically remove that because they say it'll just grow back. Yeah, and the other thing too was for liability reasons, he had to apply this treatment to like seven or eight different areas, even the areas that didn't bother me. So that was the other part. You know, he was protecting himself. He has to just obliterate every visible wart. 
you know, or else um, if I develop, you know, rectal cancer, you know, I could come back and sue him. So, yeah, you were discussing this in the previous call. Like, yeah, surgeons, they have to do their procedures the way to protect themselves, not, oh, I'm only going to um, do the procedure on the two warts that are bothering you. No, that's not really, that wasn't really on the table. And I don't know if I could have even negotiated that. <laughs> you could have. And you could have not done the colonoscopy, too. You could have insisted on a sigmoidoscopy. Yeah. and um, At this point, it, it one me... in every 200 colonoscopies results in a major health problem. And, yeah, it, is, I... and it is believed that every colonoscopy causes internal bleeding, which can cause scar tissue. Right. There was bleeding every time I went to the bathroom. And, um, yeah, it only happened maybe, you know, a week later. And, maybe and especially it had to do if a doctor is saying, I want to do this test to protect me, that's really a bargaining chip right there on the table. When you say, well, I don't want to do that test to protect you. I'd rather sign a piece of paper saying I won't sue you if you do this, or I I'd rather have a sigmoidoscopy, which is far, far safer. Okay, so that's um, sort of the things that I'm learning myself on if I'm ever in this situation again. I have ways that I can negotiate with the doctor to, like, not go overkill. And because I would have preferred that they just did the, you know, the IRC procedure on the two warts that, you know, were itchy, bleeding, deep, and bothering me. Instead right, of all exactly. these little. Right. And especially when a doctor says, I want you to do this test to protect me. Again, that's when I say, whoa, right there, just stop and say, I don't want to do that. After all, we're hiring them. We're paying them. They're not in charge of us. Right. So I, I do feel like I was steamrolled, and I'm sort of like in this process where, okay, I, you know, of I forgive myself. Of course you are, and that's what they do, and it's not just you. Everybody is. Yeah, and I, you know, I just have to um, chalk it up and um, learn and maybe – you know, teach other people how to avoid this problem. So I'm, I'm happy I'm calling in to let you know. And I, I do mm. believe it was, um, I do believe it, it was helpful though in the long run. Even though the past three weeks have been hard, I think that general anesthesia is just absolute poison. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure why right you now. agreed to general anesthesia. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And, and again, drug that's abuser. something that I say, that's something that I say in the book. It's like a local would have been just fine. You didn't need general anesthesia at all. Yeah. So I'm um, you know, learning that again. I don't we wanna... have, when we go into deep medicine, we have to advocate for ourselves because they are going to push the most harmful treatments on us because they are the safest thing for them. It's not safe for us. It's not healthy for us. And the effects of that can go on for years. So um, I guess my question would be, I don't want this to spread. And is there anything else besides what's in your book down under, you know, to help me um, prevent this from, you know, reoccurring or spreading? I know they said I'm a tobacco user or a past tobacco user. We have a very high reoccurrence. And in your book, it said, yeah, it's like 75% it's reoccurrence, even if it's treated. So um, that's, I just I, you know, to... that's why I'm a little bit even surprised that they would do it because the recurrence rate is so enormously high. I would say to keep on doing the things that you were doing beforehand, the oak bark sits bath, 
witch hazel, and, and, I did um, and genital warts are human papillomavirus. And human papillomavirus is a virus. And there are two herbs that are really get, you know, the crowns. And that is Melissa officinalis, a plant that you know and love, lemon balm, as an ointment. It's very effective against human papillomavirus. And, of course, Hypericum perforatum, the plant that I was picking when you were here a few weeks ago, is also a general-purpose internal antiviral. Okay, so, yeah, so even though the recovery period is sort of officially over, I, I still have to rebuild myself. And, yeah, those are two herbs that I'm going to really consider. Um, you um. You mentioned Oak Park Stitch Baths, and then you mentioned one more thing after that, and I ran Hazel. over you with Selendum. Which Hazel. Hazel. Thank you. I'm, I don't think that this is the kind of thing that you necessarily want to put Selendine on. I mean, maybe, but it is a, a wart, and usually Selendine is put on non-wart things. That doesn't mean it won't work, but I would be pretty hesitant to put Selendine on an area that wasn't fully healed after it had been cut because selendine can be a little caustic all right great yeah i tell you the oak bark is just an amazing thing like you know it would make my pain go away but you know the pain would return so that's where you know i was at with okay i'm gonna try to cut it out (laughs) yay oak bark so yes i think it would be a good after surgery ally for you Okay, thank you very much for um, pointing me toward Melissa. And, um, yeah, I wanted to let everyone know I'm still doing my monthly uh, podcast. I'm going to do one in the beginning of August on Susan's um, blog talk channel. And, yeah, I want to talk um, about how I've been uh, preventing and treating my migraines with psilocybin mushrooms. And I also want to talk more about uh, the powdered herbs and how herbalists seem to be using a lot more powdered herbs now. Interesting. Yeah, I, I saw that at the International you know, um, Herb, Herb Symposium that, you know, powders seem to be more um, popular amongst herbalists, maybe because people are using more and they're not sitting stale on the shelf and maybe they're more effective. Those are some of the ideas that I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the powdered herbs lose their effectiveness the most rapidly of any herb, often within months. Right, that that would be something to consider if if someone wants to use powdered herbs. But I use a lot of powdered astragalus and, of course, slippery elm powder. To root, so it doesn't have anything to lose. Right, right. Root, yes. roots generally don't have volatiles. Um, I so I use, the... I use powdered astragalus as well. But if you've ever yeah. bought cinnamon, you know what happens to something that does have volatiles. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure why, but Justine has been making kind of the rounds of various health food stores in our area that sell coffee and putting cinnamon in it and, and, and kind of uh, having a, hmm, who has, who has the best cinnamon thing? And many of the stores, the cinnamon really is like sawdust. It's like there's no taste to it at all. Okay, yeah, so that's very helpful. That roots seem to hold themselves um, better in a powdered form. And I also noticed that um, powdered mushrooms seem to be really good. And they're tasty when you put some powdered in some water and drink some mushrooms. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly, and they hold their their medicinal value very well through the powdering. I think mushrooms are like starchy and sugary. They're not really uh, volatile at all. Right. So I love thanks talking so, to thanks you. Thanks so much for your call, Sean. Love you lots. Green blessings. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey, Sean, I have a quick question for you. Um, are you accepting calls in when people listen to your radio show? Oh, he dropped his call already. Darn it. Uh, I was going to ask him what time. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I think he does. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just going to ask for the specific time of his of his show, too. So oh, Maybe um, maybe he's, but I will, he'll dial again, and we'll, you'll see his number and push him in for, so that he can answer your question. All right, sounds good. Okay, so the next caller is coming from the 907 area code. Hey, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, we've been having uh, forest fires for the past six weeks, and you know, 100,000 plus acres have been burning continuously. And the smoke. Where are you? Has. I'm on the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska. Got it. <laughs> so the smoke's been like. Really, really bad. I mean, it's some days the sun's blotted out. Yeah. Okay. So my throat, you know, for the past few weeks has been a little hoarse. And then last week, it just, I got such a sore throat. And from last Sunday to now, I've been dealing with lung issues. And my question would be, um, what can I do to help my keep my lungs healthy and to fight this cough that I'm dealing with? And there are a number of herbs that are really well known for helping the lungs, and the top of the list is mullein. I make a mullein okay. infusion using an ounce of dried mullein leaf. Now, when I harvest my mullein, I harvest it as it's flowering, so I get the stalk and the flowers as well as the leaves of the mullein. I don't just use the leaves if I've harvested it myself, but if I buy it, I'm just using the leaves. Um, and that's brewed into a regular infusion, an ounce of dried mullein to a quart of boiling water, allowed to steep four hours or overnight, and then strained. And it's pretty hairy, so strain it through a, a, some piece of actual cloth like an old napkin. It will stain it from tannins, and you won't be able to wash out the stain. And then, in order to use that in mullen, we're going to mix it half and half with the world's best healer of the lungs, and that is milk. There's no better healer for the lungs and the lung tissue than milk. So we make mullen milk. Mix half a cup of mullen, infusion with half a cup of milk, Heat it up, put some honey in it, which is so good for the throat, and drink it down. Some people like to throw in some cinnamon or cloves or cardamom, those kinds of spices, while they're heating it up, so they have a kind of a chai flavor to it. Good, good. Yeah. So, and I know that there's plenty of mullein up in Alaska, as well as being an item of commerce. The other herb is elecampane. And Elecampane henula, inula helenium, is a beautiful plant in the sunflower family. And the root smells a little bit like mothballs. It's a very odd smell and taste to it. 
But alicampane seems to really stir action up in the lungs and get things moving and really get down into the deepest and smallest tissues in the lungs and clear things there. So especially if you've been breathing in a lot of dust or soot, that's a good thing to do. I know last year throughout Oregon and Washington when there were fires burning that many of the people I knew there got special filters for their houses and didn't go outside. It looks like her call just dropped. I was going to say, it feels like her call just dropped. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Let's go on to the next one and hopefully she'll call back. Okay. The next caller is coming from the 831 area code. Oh, my gosh, that's me. Oh, my gosh. Hi. Hi. Hi, Hi, Lady Susan. My name is Josh. I'm calling from the Redwood Forest. Much love to you. Thank you, and love back to you in the Redwoods. Thank you. Um, Your infusions have really changed my life. I've been working with herbs and wild plants for about three or four years, and I was just so confused with all the information, and it's really, your your way has really narrowed my path. And uh, so, yeah, thank you for that. You're welcome. Oh, I'm a little nervous talking to you. Um, I really revere um, you and women and bringing uh, women into a place of power and leadership in this world. And um, your show has introduced me to a lot of um, that and our history in Europe. And anyway, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I'm not sorry. I just want to tell all of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So I'll move on to my questions now, if that's okay with you. Please. Okay. So my first question is, can I harvest um, oat straw from the wild? I find it a lot here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Um, What's the other? So I got from Mountain Rose, the um, linden leaf and flowers. And I just wanted to be sure um, that that's the right one for the infusion. It had a little bit of a tannic taste to it. So I'm wondering if I actually did get leaves or if that was part of the, I think, what you call the calyx. Actually, no, I don't call it the calyx. It's not the calyx. It's the samara, but that's okay. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. I know it's mislabeled, and it's kind of a thorn in my side that it's mislabeled. Um, it's not really leaves. The leaves of the linden are very, very dark dark, dark green. Um and of course, what you see in there that looks leaf-like is a light green, and that's that is the samara. It's like that wing on the maple seed that allows it to fly away, because the linden seeds are very heavy, and if they dropped straight down under the tree, they baby lindens wouldn't have a chance. So they get a little propeller that helps spin them away. The difference between frontier linden, which is whole, and mountain rose linden, which is cut, is exactly as you have said. Cutting up the linden makes it more stringent. Ah, I see. Thank you. And that's why um, I don't. I think that's... that's why I don't buy it cut. Ah, now, I when see. I home harvest oat straw or nettle or comfrey or mullein, any of those herbs, I cut them up before I make an infusion of them. I cut them up into pieces about an inch big. It's a hassle. It's a job, but it makes a much better infusion. But I don't bother with the linden. I use the linden whole. I like it whole. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. Ah, yes, I've been working much for my wife. She's visiting family in Europe, and we have a, a one-year-old baby, and I'm 
I'm making our land ready for his growing up. And, uh, oh, how wonderful. A, a, yes, Nettle and Comfrey have been my allies in that. Nettle will give yes. me the energy to use that shovel and the Comfrey to keep me strong and flexible. So thank yeah, you so wow. much. And, um, yes, thank you. And green <laughs> blessings. Green blessings. Good night. Thanks for your call. <laughs> Let's see if the person in the 907, there is another 907, but I believe that's a different um, phone number. Okay, so the next caller is coming from the 919 area code. Hello. Hi, Susan. How are you all doing tonight? Well, we're just at the, that verge of dusk and trying to decide if it's time to give the mosquitoes a, a, a goodbye and go inside or if we want to continue to. It's so nice out. It's been, like, way too hot, and then it was way too rainy, and, like, this afternoon it just was, like, perfect, and so we're just sucking it up and sitting outside. But soon oh, okay. we won't have to go inside because there are a lot of yeah. bloodsuckers out after all that rain. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they've gotten their fill maybe. Well, I don't think so. No, they seem to be honing in now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's my still bright question... enough. There's still brightness in the sky, and we can still see colors. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, we got a good rain today, which yeah. we were really needing. So, yeah, it's been good all around. It is. Um, and so what's your problem question... tonight, or what you calling about? Okay. Thank you. Yeah, my question is that I've had a a headache. I got I started off with a sore throat like two days ago and I started to get this a little bit of like a kind of like a stabbing pain in the in on one side of my head about two inches above kind of diagonally from my ear and the sore throat has gone away but the headache has kind of continued and it's just this weird headache that it's like every 15 30 seconds, minute, I'll get like several stabs of pain and then it'll go away. And I've done, I've taken a fair amount of skull cap. I, I bought some um, last summer from Rebecca and so I'm so glad I have it. Um, and I made my own this year, so I'm really excited about that. But, um, and what has been your response to the skull cap? You know, I thought it wasn't helping much. But I recognized when I stopped kind of taking it relatively frequently, the 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 frequency of those pains would come faster. Mm. Um, and last night, I woke up, you know, I took some before I went to bed, and I felt I was able to fall asleep. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up, and it was kind of incessant. It was like every 15 seconds. Because between, I don't feel so bad. I mean, I don't feel great. But it's just, they're like these stabs. It's very strange. And so it's almost getting like a little bit exhausting, you know? Like it's been going on for over 24 hours now, close to close to two days. Yeah. It sounds um, exhausting. Yeah. So I'm wondering, and I, I did take, so last night, because I, I went ahead and took some skull cap, but I wanted to sleep. And so I took one Advil. Uh-huh. And um, that that helped and I went, I fell back asleep. And then this afternoon it got bad enough. I've been taking the skull cap. I even went to work this morning and it's kind of, it's like this weird, like it's okay, but it's just kind of, 
incessant. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so, yeah. I was talking to a woman before about a time limit. Yeah. You know, setting a reasonable time limit here. So most headaches resolve within how long? I mean, I think like, yeah, I would think like 24 hours. Well, some women have really bad headaches that go on for days. Okay. So I would say that in most situations, although it's uncomfortable, painful, and not fun at all, that you could probably wait three days to see if it's going to resolve itself. Okay. Because if not, what's your next step? Right. I know. Exactly. I mean, you know, I... Your next step is, is it a brain tumor? (laughs) All that that involves, right? Right, right. So that's why I'm saying, you know, probably reasonable to wait three days instead of 24 hours, given that your next step, if you don't get rid of this headache, might be something very invasive to you. And, of course, you don't even have to go for a high-tech test at that point. You could say, okay, if I still have it after three days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to an acupuncturist, and you could spend those three days looking for an acupuncturist or a chiropractor or someone who does cranial sacral adjustments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, have, I know a great acupuncturist, so I could even see if she's yeah. got any openings. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Because, again, what we are better off if we don't wait until the pain is debilitating and we drag ourselves to the emergency room. Right, right, yeah. So <laughs> while you're still, you know, like thinking and say, hey, why don't I make an appointment with the acupuncturist? And if it turns out that the pain is completely gone by the time it gets to your acupuncture treatment, well, you know what? It's okay because you were taking care of yourself and you can still keep the treatment. Yeah. You still get the treatment, right? Yeah. Because something like that, you know, you go to the acupuncture treatment and you tell them about that, they might have some idea about it. Right, right. Yeah, because once you said once you said something about di- the different areas of the head and like that they can the headaches in different areas can mean different things. I have right. a vague memory of that. Yeah. Yes. And that's a that's a like Chinese medicine. Correct. You know thing. Okay. Okay. All right. And then please keep keep us in the loop and let us know what happens. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Green blessings. Right. I just wanted to go back to one of the, what a caller had asked about the oat straw and ask them when you harvest your straw, do you tend to harvest it after it goes to seed so it can set seed? Let it set seed? You know, I tend to be the kind of herbalist who works with serendipity. Mm-hmm. Since wild oats doesn't grow around me, it means I'm someplace where I'm visiting it. And if it's there and it's available to harvest, I'm going to harvest it. I've not been in a place where it's so sparse that my harvesting some, even when it's before seeding or in seeding, is going to interfere with the wild oats' ability to take care of itself. 
Okay. I mean, usually where it grows, yeah. it grows abundantly, right? Yeah, but you don't mind. I mean, you would still harvest it, like, after it's gone to seed and it's, like, st- yeah, it has brown time. and maybe. There. Oh, yeah, and, and, Yeah, anytime. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Sounds good. All right, we'll go to the next caller in the 440 area code. Hello. Hello. Um, What's up tonight? Uh, my name is Jane. Hi. Hi, Jane. How are you, Susan? I'm just fine. Uh, great. Um, yeah, I had a question, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer it about my thyroid. Um, okay. I went to a chiropractor last year, last summer, uh-huh. and he gave me Simplex F, which is a thyroid and adrenal support. Um, and... I felt great. I felt the best I had in a long time, many years. I kept going to the doctor and demanding they put me on thyroid medicine because I had a radioactive uptake of my thyroid when I was younger. I should have never, ever done that. But I did. And I always have problems with weight retention. And this, But then what happened was I couldn't take the thyroid supplement anymore that he gave me. I developed an allergy to it after like four months of taking it. And oh, my interesting. Face was, yeah, my face looks swollen and puffy. I'm very sensitive because I lost my spleen in a car accident. Um, and, uh, well, you know, the doctors took it out. And I was young and naive then, and who knows if I really needed it to have it taken out or not. But that's, you know, <laughs> I don't go to doctors anymore. I heal all natural. And I do do the nettles infusions. My sister, Joyce, is on a retreat with you, Joyce Bonneman. Um, and she's taught me a lot about infusions and comfrey and everything. And I can take nettles and, um, but I just wondered if you had any insight about the thyroid. What My book, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Alternative Approaches for Women 30 to 90 has mm-hmm. quite a section about thyroid. Oh, and okay. it talks at length um, about herbs and foods that have an effect on the thyroid. Fucus, seaweed, F-U-C-U-S, of course, is one of the primary ones. I also did, about a year and a half ago, a teleseminar with Ryan Drum. And I Mm -hmm. believe that if you go to mywisewomanbookshop.com, that you will find all of my teleseminars. Um, at a very moderate price. I think they're $10. Don't quote me on it. I really don't know. But I'm pretty sure that the teleseminar that Ryan and I did about thyroid is still for sale there. And as I said, wow. a pretty nominal price. So there's two mm-hmm. resources, both the uh, the book and the teleseminar. I will also tell you that my gym partner, Yvette, um, has successfully gotten off all thyroid hormone, which she had been on for over 15 years by working oh, with wow. Okay. And um, you're saying that the kelp and the seaweed really help a lot, though, right? The kelp is fine and seaweed is fine. Kelp is seaweed. Fucus mm-hmm. is a kind of kelp seaweed that is specific for those okay. with thyroid problems. 
Okay, I see. All right. So it's not just any seaweed or any kelp. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm totally exhausted. And I think a lot of my stuff is fear and overwhelm. I'm, I work as a medium and psychic and I did a ton of readings yesterday and channeling and the other side. And I have to watch and be careful when I do that. Um, so I think I got myself run down, but I'm exhausted tonight, you know, and I just keep always thinking it's my thyroid, but I am 59 years old and I'm going to be 60 October 30th. Um, so that, you know, that's relieving to me that you are saying that because I'll, I'll try doing that. Fucus, how do you spell it? S U C U S. Fucus. Okay. Okay. F U C U S. All right. Correct. S U S. You usually can't go right out to a health food store and buy it. You usually have to buy it from somebody who harvests it. Okay. 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 So, you know, perhaps uh, the people who harvest it, I know that Ryan Drum has harvested it. I don't know if he's still harvesting right now, but he okay. lives in Waldron Island in Washington. And mm-hmm. I think he's still close okay. enough that if he's decided not to harvest it, that he would uh, be able to refer you to who is harvesting it, would be my guess. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, can you answer? Can you answer one more question? I I also took one called that was poppies, and it helped me amazingly, and it calmed down my nervous system. I get really bad anxiety, and I have a show in front of a hundred people in the audience, and I I was taking hypothalamax by Standard Process, and it helped me amazingly, and it was it was also the one that helped me with the along with the thyroid. And it was for the hypothalamus in the brain. And now, again, my body develops an allergy to that. <laughs> and, you know, it's like I don't, my body does not want those pill form supplements. It wants only a liquid form, I feel. I'm, I'm resonating with my body and I'm allowing it to know what it needs and wants and what it's not, what's not working in favor. So, can you and so you are drinking that? nourishing herbal infusions now? Did you say that? Um. Yeah, I'm drinking nettles occasionally, but um, uh-huh. I have to. And what to, kind of scale do you use? I don't use a scale. I just throw so it in. So you're not the, drinking any infusions at all? I'm, I Occasionally, I do nettles infusions. You can't make nettles. an infusion without a scale. Oh, okay. Okay. An infusion is one ounce of dried herb by weight. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Okay. Thank you for telling me that. You're welcome. It's in all of my books, and it's also at all of my YouTubes. Okay, then I'm going to have to – okay, I'm going to start watching your YouTubes. I I just stumbled upon this because my sister Joyce is really – she uses every word you say, like Bible. So <laughs> I, I – I'm, well, I'm start... really surprised that she didn't tell you you needed a scale to make infusion. Well, I don't I don't talk to her that much about it. She just gave me that. I understand. Okay, well, because yeah. – okay. If she's listening to me closely, she will certainly have heard me say that it's one ounce of dried herb to a quart of boiling water steeped for a minimum of four hours. I'm sure she does. I'm sure she does do it like that. I'm sure she does. We'll get you a scale. We'll get you set up on that. Because personally, what I think 
is that all of these things that you're talking about that are problematic for you, if you would start drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion on a daily basis, they would all be things of the past, and you wouldn't even feel like you're 60 anymore. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Awesome. 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 Okay. I'm going to... Really I will tell you that at 73, the video. apprentices who are a third my age have a hard time keeping up with me. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want. <laughs> so that's your nourishing herbal okay. infusions. That's what you want is your nourishing herbal infusions. Get a scale, get some quart jars, get that dried herb, and uh, you will find that motherwort tincture is the one of the best allies anytime that you are nervous or feeling mm. anxious. Motherwort, okay. Motherwort, uh-huh. And I'm wondering um, if, you could, a, a if you could you describe wart? to me your physical sensations when you're feeling anxious? Pins and needles. I start to get pins and needles all over my whole body. Uh-huh. My nerve endings. And if I eat the wrong foods, I get the pins and needles. I have to, I'm on a vegan... Raw food I'm diet. That you're destroying yourself. Well, just psychics need to like, eat meat. It's one of the most important things for psychics to eat is meat. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you in your body. Veganism is is really a death sentence. Well, I've only been doing it for a week. I, I just do well, it. Stop for like now days. while you still have a chance. Well, I've only. I was thinking I'm just going to eat meat like every once every four days. That's well, what that's I was not thinking. being a vegan, then is it? No, it's not really a vegan. You're right. You're right. I don't even know why I said that. I just, I'm like I said, I'm tired tonight, so. Okay. okay. So, right. you know, certainly I'm not suggesting that people eat bacon for breakfast and bologna for lunch and steak right. for dinner. Right. But I am saying that, especially given your exhaustion, given what's going on with you, given the work that you do, that you need more meat than your average bear. Okay. I see. Okay. Yeah. Right. And if you want to eat it only once every four days, then liver would be a good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And grass-fed beef and grass-fed, everything grass-fed. I always get the the best raised food that I can. Um, mm-hmm. And, it again, each one of us um, has mm-hmm. our own budget that we have to accommodate. Okay. Right. Right. And the food rule is that any good food, even if it's not raised in the best possible way, is better than none. So in other words, a lot of people will say things like, oh, well, I can't afford organic broccoli, so I don't eat broccoli. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Better to eat non-organic broccoli than to not eat broccoli. Better to eat any meat. Right. If yeah, then I have no problem eat, affording Not eat meat yeah. if you can't afford the organic or the grass-fed or whatever. Okay. Yeah, okay. I have no problem affording things like food. That's the most important thing to me. So. Great. <laughs> hey, then go for yeah. the best, without a doubt. That's what I do. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. I'm going to start watching your YouTube videos. Thank you. Start watching those YouTube. Start making infusions. And okay. I give us a call in a and month and let us know right. how wonderful you feel. Okay, great. Okay, okay. thank you so much. <laughs> Have a great night. Okay, thanks. Blessings. Blessings. I have another quick question, too. For the poppy poppy seeds, like when you have a poppy head, how do you harvest those and make tea out of Do you just make tea out of the whole poppy head? 
That's what Juliet did. Yes, she just harvested. She she didn't let them go to seed. She since said once they make seed, they're not very medicinal. Oh, mine have all gone to seed. But so she, she are always, they like when they're? She always specified green poppy heads, and she would take you know like two ah. or three green poppy heads, boil them up, and give them to her babies to quiet them down. So you would have to have them only when they're in season, or because you, you don't preserve them that way, or would you preserve them somehow? Never. She never preserved them because she moved around from place to place, and it was just too awkward for her. But I have known people who've tinctured mm-hmm. the green heads. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah, there was this, um, um, I was caller. actually working on, I was actually revising Poppy last night, and one of the... Uh, the wonderful people who have uh, given me edits um, said, I don't know this quote from Homer about poppies doesn't seem right. And I hit my sweetheart, who's a Homer buff, as well as a Shakespeare buff, look it up. And sure enough, Homer never said it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad we found out this was a spurious quote. That certainly would have been embarrassing. And so I went looking for quotes about poppy and opium. And the one I put in the book is from Jean Cocteau. And he says, Everything in life, including love, is a train hurtling toward death. Taking Mm. opium throws you off the train while it is still in motion and puts you beyond the realm of life and death. Hmm. Yeah. I just want to experiment with it. I usually don't really like, like, the opium feel personally, like that, or like that, kind of altered I don't know it's just like kind of brings me it's like a downer for me so <laughs> but I thought it'd be interesting to yes, have so many it's a downer around. that's what opium is it's a downer right Sit yeah and downer. I like yes that. you got it that's what it is <laughs> I don't need to give that. <laughs> but at the same time I have so many growing around I was like oh I I should try to make medicine out of these for but you know at least experiment so we'll see the soft we'll alternative is California poppy right which I love, and I do love California poppy because I don't have that that super sedative. Um, it's more, it still has like an up, upbeat almost to it. It doesn't like it doesn't um, bring me down and make me feel so, like almost groggy or something. You know, I can still function and, yeah. Exactly. It's very very light in mm-hmm. any kind of alkaloids. Enough to enough to calm yeah. you down. Enough. Bring you to sleep, great, you know, often recommended for children, but not like the real opium stuff in the in the papa there. Somnifera. Yeah, and I feel like the California poppy also has like a lot of uh, anti-inflammatory. It has uh, right. those uh, orange. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it has a lot pretty, more other components. Pretty that are, easy to grow, not too late to grow some. It grows fast. The berberine, that's what it has in it. So... Ah, is berberine in the flower or in the whole plant? It's in the root. And so when I make my tincture, I actually tincture the root to the flower and the seed heads as well. So it has all of that in there. So it's like very complex kind of medicine. Yeah. Ooh, I like that, Rebecca. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, we just have a few minutes left. What, one more person? Yeah, we have a lot of callers. We've been having a lot of callers. If you didn't get on this week, please call again next week, and our guests will be here in just about three minutes. So stay tuned. The next caller is coming from the 904 area code. 
Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, my name is Shannon, and I'm 26 years old, and I've been dealing with a plethora of health problems for the past, like, year now. Um, my story is kind of long and complex, but I'm going to try to make it short and simple. But it started, um, like, a year ago. I was living in Hawaii, and I got staph infection, and I was trying everything, like oregano oil, all of like the natural antibiotics. And um, there's nothing natural about oregano oil. Yeah, I know it's pretty. It's bad stuff because it kills like the good bacteria too. Um, but I was trying everything. But this is when I was like vegan and probably malnourished too. So this is why I, I wasn't healing. So I went to the doctor and they gave me antibiotics and I took the antibiotics and I healed. And about three weeks later, I got staph infection again and I took another round of antibiotics out of fear. And a lot of traumatic things were happening to me. Like I crashed my car and um, so I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't breathe. Like this is after my second round of antibiotics and I was like dizzy. I thought I ate something bad. I tried making myself throw up, but I just couldn't like get a full deep breath. Um, and the next day, like I still couldn't breathe and I thought I had asthma or something wrong. So I came back to Florida and where I live, and I went to another doctor, like I went to the pulmonologist, they took CT scans of my lungs, they told me that I didn't have asthma because I wasn't wheezing, um, and they said, nothing's wrong, you should go see a neurologist. So, like I got, I went to a um, functional medicine doctor, integrated medicine doctor, and she took a whole big blood test. I am so sorry to hear that. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, they are the biggest quacks going. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm figuring this out as I go through my journey. Um, so, yeah, ended up getting a bunch of blood tests, stool tests. I guess I have yeast in my school stool. Um, and... They told me that I have the Epstein-Barr virus reactivation, so she gave me some antivirals. And then my autoimmune um, panels were kind of raised, like for Sjogren's syndrome, because my mouth is super cotton mouth. And so I'm also having, like, super bad neurological problems, like brain fog, um, like are you aware that, that are you aware that ninety percent of the adult population of the United States carries Epstein Barr virus? Yeah, I'm figuring that out too. <laughs> um, so this of, is why I'm like, this my is gosh, not you the problem. You know, it's like you, you know, you're being treated for non things. I know. Okay, so whatever. I finally get a brain MRI because I'm like, okay, I'm like disoriented, walking around, feeling like I'm living in an alternate reality. And I, um, It's just fascinating, and we're going to have to come back and talk about it more next week because my guest is here now, Judith Piazza, 
and I'm going to introduce Judith. Please do call me back. I would love to hear more about what's going on with you. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Green black. Green black. Judith Piazza, sound sound medicine woman, has 40-plus years of exploration in the realms of sound, music, rhythm, and voice, including a BA in music therapy. Judith continues to explore the indigenous and soulful edges of vibration as sound medicine. She presently offers devotional and community song, frame drum and rhythm workshops, healing sound workshops, performances, prayer performances that weave her talents and skill on drums around the world, vocals, native flutes, didgeridoo, guitar, and dulcitar, TM. In addition, Judith works with youth and adults in rites of passage, threshold retreats, is an initiated council trainer and guide in the Ojai Foundation model, a circle practice that encourages authentic listening and speaking from our hearts and is a universal life church minister. She continues to explore nature as teacher, developing a medicine wheel of our elemental sound nature. She has recently been named one of nine finalists in the Guthman International Instrument Design Competition for her unique dulcitar TM, and has been initiated into the yoga of sound through decades of study in the Indian sound yoga tradition. She is known for her extraordinary talents, exceptional skill, and generous, joyful spirit as sound medicine woman. Welcome to the show, Judith. Thank you so much, Susan. Nice to hear your voice. Music, I think of as one of the great tonics in life. That it is um, a wonderful combination of rhythm and sound. And certainly we know that uh, sound and our connection to music is, as they say, one of the last things to go, so that it has a very special place, not only in all healing, but in end-of-life healing. How did you come Mm -hmm. to your connection with sound and with sound healing? Mm. Uh, You know, I, as a very young child, I used to walk in the woods a lot and just play in the woods a lot and I would lay down in places where like deer had laid before and I'd follow these deer paths and made forts and um, you know that was really my first experience of listening deeply and it was through the vibrations in nature and of our earth that I became so fascinated with um, our our elemental nature. Of course, I didn't call it that then. But then really as I went on, you know, my my um, I started with piano lessons, and that didn't last very long. That was in like sixth grade. But in high school, I played guitar and sang for lots of folk shows with my sister. And then from there, I went on to uh, a degree in music therapy, so I was very much... Uh, just wanting to explore how sound affects us and, of course, how it affects me. So we always study what we need to know best ourselves, and uh, that's what, what what's happening. So then I, I went on from there in lots of different explorations. I mean, I did have a, um, a BA in music therapy, a degree there, 
But really, I went on much later in my life, in my 30s, traveling all over and drumming just completely changed my life. So that slower vibration of drumming, denser vibration of drumming, really brought me into a whole new chapter aspect of my life with sound and music. Beautiful. Wow. So this is a calling that you've had for your whole life. Yeah. Yeah, it's really started quite young and um and then became, you know, more traditionalized at some points and then it became very untraditional again. So really, uh, the drumming took me out of my mental, critical, intellectualization of it all and um, brought me, well, gave me diversity for one thing as a musician. Because you don't see too many woman musicians drumming plus singing plus playing guitar and some stringed instruments. And, and then I just started studying traditions all over the world. So I traveled quite a bit. This was in my late 30s, and it really completely changed my whole way of being in the world. Tell us a, so little, I bit began, a little bit about some yeah. of your schools and your teachers. Yeah, well, you know, it was, I was introduced to the djembe first, uh, uh, first drum, and I was going through a very difficult divorce, and in my little community in Michigan, we Every Friday night, there was a small group of us that drummed. So then I went to this drum and dance retreat and na, 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 na. But really, it was frame drumming that, um, and, and a teacher, very amazing teacher, the grandfather of frame drumming, really, in the Western world, Glenn Velez, who I uh, became enthralled with on many, in many, many ways. And um, just, I was obsessed. I became totally stricken <laughs> might be one way of saying it and uh, I slept with my drums I played them in the car when I was driving I I just hardly could put them down so then I started traveling more to explore some of their sound traditions and that was with many teachers uh, Sylvia Nakach uh, Russell Paul really has been my deepest teacher in the yoga of sound and I've been to Israel and Brazil and uh, uh, did some playing and teaching and performing in on Bali. Um, I lived in Europe for a time. I've been into many places in Central America. Um, let's see. So, yeah, it was this exploration of, uh, like, indigenous ways of using sound to affect our health to affect our joy, our vitality, our youthfulness, our ability to respond and to gather together in community. Yes, someone once said that the drum circle is the perfect place because everyone is there individually and at the same time simultaneously they're part of the group. Yeah, well, there is quite a connection when we gather with uh, some consciousness and intention and circle. And through the drum, there's so, on so many levels, the drum connects us and gives us also a strengthening in our own uh, ways of using our 
all of our bodies, our etheric bodies, our physical, our mental, emotional, spiritual. So the the rhythm, the, the sense of rhythm, I and mean, we call it sense of rhythm, right? This is a sense, and we can develop it. We can nurture it and encourage it to flourish uh, in our own self. And then as we connect with other people in a circle, uh, we have a very powerful experience. I just came back, actually, from a a group of women that I've been teaching and playing with now for about a year and a half. It's amazing. At whatever age, at, at any age, young, medium age, older age, elder age, uh, we can develop our sense of rhythm and and hone uh, these ways of using sound to become better people, to be able to respond to our environment more, our communities to be more joyful, to feel more vitality in, our, in ourselves. And it happens on many, many levels. I, of course, am very curious about your instrument. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Tara, this that was a... summer put together. It's dulcitar, so it's influenced by dulcimer, the lap dulcimer, and sitar sounds. So uh, I lived in Michigan for a long time, and in that in that place, I was playing lap dulcimer, but I kept hearing this other instrument. I kept hearing, like, oh, yeah, the sounds of sitar with together with this somehow. So really it was a very natural progression over 10 years, a long time. I was like fooling around with my dulcimer and um, putting new frets in, like more frets and these kind of like uh, more than minor thirds and more than minor sixths, which are, are more typical of some of the Arab music, Indian music. So we have many more pitches and some of these other cultural sounds. But, um, yeah, eventually, after 10 years, I, uh, I, I had been connected musically here in Colorado, where I live now. But at the time, I was just traveling here some. And uh, there was a dulcimer shop in town, and I asked this one crafter if he would be willing to make this instrument with me. And he was. <laughs> So it's a it's amazing instrument. It's so beautiful. Um, people can hear it through my website. There's some YouTube clips of the dulcitar. So um, it has drone strings, not quite in the same way as a sitar. I actually play the drone strings. It has an extra bass string that's just so rich and resonant. Your it has three of more of a uh, dulcimer type string. And then it has these two other strings that are on curved frets, similar to a sitar fret. And I have juari bridges or these curved bridges that are also used on sitar to create more of this drone uh, effect. But, you know, I, that, this instrument was designed primarily for devotional music. And, um, so I tune it very often with all fifths, the sound of a fifth. So we have do, re, mi, fa, sol, 
do sol, that would be the fifth. In India, it would be sa re ga ma pa, sa pa. So this interval of the fifth opens our heart. And in every culture, we have this uh, experience of the use of the fifth to create expansion, to create some uh, a feeling of joy. So the dulcitar is very often tuned with all these fifths. And then somebody suggested that I enter it into this international design competition. So I um, eventually did after about a couple of years, actually, I, I did. And um, I was, it came down from like 120 to 20 finalists. And then there were semi-finalists. So I made it into the top nine. I don't know where I was in there, but we all got to perform. And um, it was kind of amazing. <laughs> It was totally unpredictable. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you do a lot of work with sound as prayer, yes? Um, let's see. How would I answer that? I mean, everything that I am about in my life I has a a, uh, a ceremonial aspect to it. So this is a prayerful life that I encourage in myself and in others as they are open and want to to have that. So, um, yeah, I would say it's a prayerful life, meaning that I am full of gratitude, number one, and it's natural, it's a natural expression in me to feel this gratitude for uh, for life, for being in this world, for the beauty that's around me, even with all the catastrophic tragedies and heart-wrenchingness of what's happening in our world, I, I continue to have this um, deep sense of gratitude. So in this way, it is prayerful. Uh, and, you know, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And um, I, I would say that nature is the place where I so um, readily am in this prayerful state of gratitude. But it really happens all the time, not just in nature. It happens with people. It happens uh, even in in challenging situations where I have cultivated and continue to cultivate a sense of gratitude and beauty. You know, actually, uh, this idea of beauty, I, I just had this new insight. I've, in my work with the Ojai Foundation, we've practiced the beauty way in, uh, in that field of community for years. But just recently, the last two weeks, I was really feeling like every time we create some form of beauty, whether it's through art, whether it's sweeping the patio, whether it's creating an artistic or a loving uh, dish, dinner, meal, uh, playing music, we're creating vibrations of beauty that I feel very strongly can affect the whole world. 
it's a way of healing our world. So yes, we heal ourselves and our, our, you know, our own body, our own vibrations, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But we also have this potential of harmonically creating a, a field around us, and then those ripples go further and further out of our harmonic field. Does that make sense? It more than makes sense. I think that (laughs) for many people, a missing link. Mm -hmm. People certainly have heard about chanting and they've heard about mantras, but they don't Mm -hmm. seem to understand that if they have their earbuds in and they're listening to some kind of music, that that's their mantra. Mm Mm-hmm. And if it's yeah, if it's that drum machine, um, it's mm-hmm. very. Well, how do I say this? The human body is rhythmical in an arrhythmical way. Explain which that. We, which is what we like about orchestras and live music, mm-hmm. and what we mm-hmm. don't like about drum machines is the drum machine, bum bum bum. Is exact, and our body is rhythmical, but it's exact. There's minors, there's small variations, Mm -hmm. and those small variations are of interest and healthy interest to us. Well, this brings me and us to this idea of um, the the context, context that I've been developing for a very long time is our sound elemental nature. So this idea that you're talking about, like the drum machine or these low um, bass beats like that are just pounding, you know, when you go past a car window that's open and there's, there's just, you hear just the bass. And this is um, an injustice to our human nature, to our elemental nature, that we would just pound in the lower chakras, pound this driving aggressive uh, uh, vibration into our being because it puts us out of balance. It's not that it's bad in in and of itself. If it was done in balance, that's one thing. But if that's the, the predominant influence on our sound nature, we're really... Uh, such, it's such an injustice to ourselves. And we can see this in the world then as well. That when we are not creating balance through vibration in ourselves, in our communities, in our world, then we have a very out-of-balance, unharmonic, uh, inhospitable world. So this idea of our sound elemental nature, I, I um, every month uh, I'm guiding a um, five five um, element sound journey, healing sound journey, and the way that I've that for me, what's important is to provide um, nurturing for all of our elemental nature, for our inner earth our water, our air, our fire, our ether. And we can do that through textures of sound. 
So, I mean, I know, you know, these days there's so many sound healers, right? There's so many uh, gong players, bowl players, and, you know, the, and, and it's great. That's all great. And I also feel like through different textures, different pitches of sounds that we really have a chance to activate our inner elemental nature to connect through the chakras, through the elements in our being. So, Because really that's what health is based on. It's not just activating through a high pitch, uh, it's, and it's not just activating through a low pitch. It has to move through all these centers in order to create flow and then vitality. And that's when we, that's one definition of health. When you are doing sound healing, do you use a variety of different instruments? Yes. Uh huh. So I have my own contextual context. I can't even say that word. Contextualization of um, of what elements of our inner nature are activated by what kinds of sounds. And you know, it's it's pretty simple in one way, but because of my lifelong exploration and skill, like I've developed a lot of skill in playing these instruments. So there's ways that I use these instruments in really very consciously to activate people's earth, to activate our inner water, to activate our fire and our air, and then to give it expression through the ether. And and the way that it that I've learned and keep exploring how to guide this is so that there's this connection that happens. Things need to be shaken up possibly to break the patterns of our being. So um, we, we use different, in, I use different instruments for that. And then we create this flow or we try to align our being through sound, through vibration. Because we know everything in our body, of course, is vibration. Whether it's a blockage, uh, a, a tumor, whether it's a group of cells that are creating whatever, whatever they're, it's creating. So vibration can be used to kind of shake things up and then align again to uh, reorder, to reharmonize the cells of our being. And so that's what I've loved doing this. I, it's just given me such a um, a platform really to identify ourselves with nature as nature we are nature and so by using these sounds to to activate this these qualities of nature in us I just found it to be exceptional and the way that people respond to the groups seems to affirm that so you said before that there are specific instruments that mm-hmm. um, activate or nourish specific elemental qualities in us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Could I you... can tell you my associations. Yes. Uh, and they're they're general, you know. And I also really recognize that uh, for 
individuals, they might not have the same associations, which is really fine because I just trust that the sound is going to enter each individual in the way that it needs to. But because we have, we have so many levels of listening, one of the levels of listening is association. And in, in that level, a particular sound might trigger a memory or trigger uh, an experience that wouldn't be like my experience of that sound. So, you, so I really recognize that each person will have their own response to the sound. But, but in a general but, way, for me... But we might say that, flute, oh, violins are about the heart chakra. Strings are about the heart chakra. So whether it's uh, guitar or the dulcitar, or uh, it could be violin, it could be strings, but strings tend to open the heart, just like the sound ah does. And in so many cultures of the world, we have these ah sounds that, uh, that express the divine, the sacred, Buddha, God, Yahweh, uh, Shiva, Shakti. So this, this particular sound and also strings help to open the heart, just like that uh, interval of a fifth also does. So yes, uh, I, I conceive of flutes activating air, wind quality, so flutes and uh, other kinds of wind instruments. I mean, again, it's, it can be very simple to understand. I think of drums for earth, for grounding, for slowing down, for steadying. Uh, I tend to associate bells and metal sounds with water, but not everybody does. So, you know, again, there's these different ways of hearing and listening. But um, I always include some metal sounds in my um, in my sound healing experience, and then for fire, you know, shakers. I mean, people all over the world have used rattles and shakers to break a pattern, to to provide some uh, some energy like that's maybe not as predictable, that's not static. What do we do with the baby? When we if a baby's crying, I mean, if a family gives this baby a rattle because it'll break the, that pattern, that behavior very quickly, and we can do the same with ourselves. Judith, I am so enjoying speaking with you. This is Susan Weed talking with Judith Piazza. Um, but we've almost come to the end of our time, and I want to be sure I know. know how to get in touch <laughs> is resonance and rhythms.com the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, actually, yes, and through my just my email, which is just judypiazza at gmail. That's easy. And that's on my website. And probably uh, you have a Facebook page. I do have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, so... I would yeah, like, and you know... I'd like to give you the last... You, show, what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of, and the ears of the listeners? Yes. Uh, I would love to encourage those who are interested in sound healing to experience, before you're, you call yourself a sound healer, to explore and experience and practice 
and and just really invite the experience of sound into your own life. Uh, I I don't feel I think there's so many sound ways right now, and I really do I'm glad about that. And really, to a weekend workshop in learning how to play singing bowls doesn't make you a sound healer. So just be, being careful about that, you know, and being representing yourself in a good way. And uh, I want to say also that I look forward to seeing you, Susan, at the international the goddess. Uh, a Spirit Rising International Goddess Festival coming up in September. Yes, I noticed you were going to be there, and I was very excited that we get to spend some time together. So the rest of you, check it out. Goddess Spirit Rising coming up in September. I've already made my plane reservations. <laughs> All right. You're making yours, too, out there. Goddess Spirit Rising is phenomenal. Thank you, Judith Piazza, for the vibrant sound threads that you add to the <laughs> cloak of the ancients. We are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And your work mm-hmm. is it. Hey, Rebecca, love to you and love to you, Justine. Justine and I finalized the cover for the book yesterday. We are very excited and happy. And green blessings to everybody out there. Remember, herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's the medicine that grows right out your back door. See you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone.